Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. This is an, um, a service today that we don't often have where we start the Torah reading and then we have a Lord's Supper and that, but today we're going to do that. We're almost uh, through that section, but I would like to share some remarks from Sefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis. This is a well-traveled um, part of Scripture, not only in the believing community, but also in the Jewish community. Well-traveled portion of Scripture and if, when you think about it, one of the most well-known verses in all of the Bible is actually probably Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. At that point, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we begin the human saga that Scripture tells us about. It points out to us, we start out with the creation and then the, the uh, creation of Adam, and Chava, commonly called Adam and Eve. Adam can also mean mankind in Hebrew. Adam and Eve. And we go forward from there. We meet in this week's parasha, Cain and Abel. Next week's parasha, Lord willing, we meet Noah. And after that, as I mentioned when I was reading from uh, the Torah scroll over there, or before the reading of the Torah scroll, we encounter Abraham, which will take up a good section of the book of Bereshit Genesis. So if you have your scriptures, I want to warn you if, you, if you do follow along, I hope you do, that we will be covering from one end of the book to the other, not everything in between the beginning and the end, but we will actually uh, be drawing from scripture, beginning in the Torah, also in the Ketuvim, the writings, in the Nevi'im, the prophets, and in the Brit Hadashah, the New Covenant. We will be drawing passages of scripture from each area of of the Bible. Kevin and Mike, could you please, could you please put the uh, Lord's table over there? Thank you. So, um, if you're following along, it will not be that difficult to follow along. There'll probably be a couple passages you're not overly familiar with, but we will start with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, that says, we read it, I read it just a few minutes ago, Bereshit which means in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. These seven Hebrew words that I just recited, translated into I think maybe like 16 or 17 English words, are foundational to an understanding, to an understanding of the living God and his creation. I mean, after all, Genesis starts at the point of the Lord and creation, now, there's a lot of discussion in the modern world about creation. Uh, frankly, having been there and done that and looked at that and studied that, I really love what the Scripture says. 
this scripture says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's, uh, uh, as we say, dayenu, that's enough for us right there. Just that first verse, those seven Hebrew words, Bereshit Barai Elohim et Shemaim is enough to talk about for, for months, really. You start parsing those words and, and doing word studies on those Hebrew words. For example, the word bara, created. That word reoccurs in the book of Tehillim, Psalms. I don't have this for overhead, but Psalm 51 where David, after he had sinned with Bathsheba, with Bathsheba, David cries out to God. The prayer is recorded in Psalm 51, and he says, Lev Tahor Barali Elohim Veruach Nachon Chadesh Bekirbi. He says, Create in me a clean heart. Lev Tahor Bara. He uses the verb that's involved with a sovereign, divine creation. And it's as if to say, as if to say, God, unless you do a sovereign work in me, who knows what's going to happen? He had just sinned with Bathsheba. Now, obviously, these seven Hebrew words, there's much more we could say about all these, including the word bore or bara, past tense. But we are informed from the very beginning of Genesis that there is a creator and a creation. It's been said that behind every design, there's a designer. I mean, as I just said, behind how, how do you have a creation without a creator? And this very creator that we're introduced to in Sefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1, and forward, this very creator is, is later called El Chai. Can you say El Chai? Let's try that. El Chai. El means God, and Chai means living or alive. I am so thankful it doesn't say El met the dead God. But he's called in Scripture El Chai, the God who is alive. He's, he's still alive. He, he's always alive. He's eternal in his nature. Some of you may remember, and I certainly will be dating myself, that, that um, <clears throat> almost a mantra that was stated in the 60s and the 70s, God is dead. Anybody, anybody remember that one? I do. It went around the university circles. It was being uh, propagated by um, professors, the profs at the various universities. Now, God is dead. Well, Scripture, we, if we begin again, and I'm encouraging you to read from Genesis, read through these Scripture readings, Scripture affirms over and over again that God is far from dead. He is very much alive. He is El Chai. He's the living God. In fact, later on, we're told that he was, and he is, and he is to come, so he, is, he fills the whole expanse of what we would call time. He's alive and well right now, and I don't know what you're facing in your life, but make sure you're crying out to the living God for his help, because nothing's too difficult for him, who was and is and is to come. Now, 
the first two chapters of Genesis, for those who have had a chance to read this, and again, this is highly familiar territory for anyone picking up this scripture. I've known numerous people, they say, well, I'm going to read the Bible, and then they go right to Genesis, and you know how far they get. <laughs> Some get all the way through. Let me be the, the, the half full cup. Some get all the way through, but the others stop when they start reading so-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, and the next thing you know, that, that begats them to close their book and, and stop reading. But we're told in the first two chapters of Genesis, we are informed of some of the very mysteries of creation in the universe. And we're told from the very first verse that God, Elohim, he's called there. Later on, he's called yod heh adonai Hashem, el Shaddai. Different names are used to describe him. El-Chai, the living God. But he's involved from the very beginning. And those of you who've read the end of the book, in the book of Revelation 22, you realize that he's involved at the very end. Or to put it in other terms, as Yeshua says, he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. <laughs> Frankly, he's involved in everything in between as well. The question then becomes, is he involved in your life? Do you allow his involvement in your life? Do you have sacrosanct areas as far as you're concerned that they're just yours and not his? Or do you allow him to be who he really is, which is Adonai, the Lord, the King. But he created the creation. He created it with great wisdom. The Hebrew word for wisdom is chokhmah, wisdom. It tells us in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 19, the Lord bechokhmah, the Lord by wisdom or with wisdom, bechokhmah, he founded the earth, betevunah, by understanding, he established the heavens. So if we think this is just an arbitrary thing, this God, El Chai, the living God, is incredible. Or as we like to say, and the psalmist will say later in Psalm 145 and in many other places, we read in Scripture, Gadol Adonai. Can you say that? Gadol Adonai. Great is the Lord. Great is the Lord. And friends, one of the secrets of walking with him is making sure you don't try to view him as anything else but who he is. Don't try to relegate him to any other place but who he is, which is Lord of lords and King of kings. We're also told in Hebrews chapter 11, the book of Messianic Jews, chapter 11, verse 3. It says, by faith, by trust, we understand. Here's the writer, first century writer says, we understand that the worlds were framed. How? By the word of God. I read today from the parasha, Yehi Or of Yehi Or. It's always struck me for decades now, that statement. Let there be light, and there was light. When you look at it, though, in the Hebrew says, it says Vayahi Or, and it's repeated, the exact same thing that God said is repeated. Yehi Or, Yehi Or. No changing to his word. What he said is what it is. 
By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the words of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are, as this translation says, visible. I don't know what that does for you, but when I read passages like that, I just step back in awe of such a creator. Another way to term God is habore, the creator. He's not a creator, he's the creator, habore. Baruchu, blessed be his name. This passage, Hebrews 11, verse 3, by faith we understand that the world's were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. The Greek word that's translated worlds, you will know this word. Commonly, we say it in English, the eons. How many have heard the word eons before? Most of us have. The Greek sense of that is that the eons, when it uses the term, it's translated here, the worlds, the eons, that it involves all existence plus all time. So all time and all existence God created. Should we not reverence this one, the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Why do we not reverence him? Why do we hold back our praise? Why do we hold back areas of our life from him? He just speaks. He spoke and the world came to existence. What about our lives? By faith, we understand that the eons, all existence and time, were framed by the word of God. How glorious is this God that we're introduced to in the very first phrase of the scripture. And many now want to throw away the scripture and, you know, not give God's word any time in their life. Facebook, yes. Twitter, yes. All that type of stuff. But God's word, just put it aside as if it's, you know, relegated to your use whenever you feel like it. That's not what is presented in Genesis chapter 1 about God, how great he is, how awesome he is, how powerful he is. And if I could use the term how mysterious he is, there's so many things hidden. And yet he makes himself known through Yeshua the Messiah to fallen mankind. We learn in Scripture that God is supremely God. I, I don't know how to say it, and forgive me for faltering in my expression here, but God is supremely God. He's not God with some little G. He's supremely God. And we would be wise to humble ourselves before the supreme God in our lives and stop holding back from him and taking him for who he is, receiving him for who he is. He's supremely God, as I mentioned. He's Lord over all time. He's sovereign. He's powerful. He's full of chokhmah. He's wise. You know, he's very creative. <laughs> he creates in us a new heart. He creates us into a new creature, a new creation through faith in Messiah Yeshua. 
He's very capable. I don't know what you're facing in your life, but he's very capable of helping you. But it must be according to his will. Why? Because he's the all-wise one. And sometimes we think we know what's best for ourselves, but frankly, many times we really don't. We have a jaundiced view of ourselves or what's best for us. But he's capable. He's fully aware of all creation. I mentioned this many times from this very bema. Where can you flee from his presence? Where can you hide yourself from him? It's foolish to even try. It's better to just stand up and, and be counted for him. And you know, one of his beautiful traits, and there are many beautiful traits, is that he is extremely generous. I don't know why we can be so stingy at times, but he is extremely generous to us. And not just with material things. The earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. So anything you think you possess, actually, it's the Lord's. Any good thing. He will not withhold any good thing from those who walk uprightly. No devar tov. No good thing will he withhold from those who will walk with him. Yet there's this view of creation that we read in the Brit Hadashah in the book of Romans chapter 1 verse 20 that says this. Notice how Rav Shaul, Paul the Apostle, reflects back, and you know he reflects all the way back to the narrative we're reading now in Sefer Bereshit, Genesis. He says, for since the creation, the Briah, the creation, since the creation of the world, then Rav Shaul, this rabbi, this Pharisee of Pharisees, so as to the Torah, just walked a steadfast life. He says, for since the creation of the world, Rav Shaul says, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead. And there is this next statement. Can you read it with me? So that they are without excuse. The heavens are constantly declaring the glory of God. The creation con continually shows. Even looking at yourself and seeing how fearfully and wonderfully made we are. And I know our science does their best in trying to bring us to a place of health and all that. But the wonders just of the creation of mankind when God breathed the breath of life into mankind is well beyond the attaining of man. Just a hundred years ago, the word Adam was A-D-A-M, not A-T-O-M. 200 years ago, the idea of virus, well, it might have been there, but to actually be able to talk about a virus, which I'm not going to today, <laughs> man had yet to discover those things. And as I've stated from this very Bema, the last time I checked, the ocean floor has been explored less than 5% of its entirety. 
And this is just one small part of the vast creation that our Creator created. Today, before I read the Torah, I had prepared some remarks. I didn't use remarks today. I just spoke to you. And I had begun to list, as I've done before in past years, some of the dimensions of the universe. Do you know why I didn't share those remarks? Because I realized they're not accurate. We talk about 900 billion stars in our galaxies and billions and billions of stars and other galaxies. And what are you left with? Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Blessed is, would be all those who fear him and reverence him and serve him and obey him. Blessed are you if that's you. Frankly, if that's not you, <laughs> he is greatly to be feared. Yeshua said, I'll, show, I'll tell you who to fear. Fear him who can throw you into the pit. Paraphrase. So although the physical creation, that's all around us. The earth, the moon, the stars that I was just referencing, the seas that I just referenced, the dry land that Genesis talks about, the animals, the plants, and so much more. These things can be seen with our physical eyes. Other aspects of God's nature are not seen, but they are demonstrated. In fact, Romans chapter 5 verse 8 tells us about a demonstration. Romans 5 verse 8 says, God demonstrates his own, what's the word? Love. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Yeshua died for us. Wow, what a demonstration that is. That the creator of this universe that's incalculable in its dimensions and its matter and its planets and its ocean floor and our human frame, he demonstrates that he loves us. The only thing I can think of is something that's already been said before by the psalmist. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you even consider him? That's what the psalmist said. So further, God demonstrates his love by sending Yeshua who died for us for our sins. But further, God demonstrates other aspects of his character to us. What he's really like. The Lord is faithful. The Lord is merciful. Has he been merciful to you? If he's been merciful to you, please raise your hand and acknowledge that. He's merciful. He's kind. He's willing to forgive those who are willing to repent. He's willing to forgive. He hears our pleas and cries. We cry out for help. He doesn't forsake us. Not only does he hear our pleas, but he also hears our praises. I don't understand why we don't lift our voices and solidify more our inner being with him 
as Yeshua said, if you don't do it, then the rocks are going to do it. He rewards. You know, God's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. He's a rewarder of many things in our lives. He rewards. He rewards those who will honor him. He rewards those who serve him with humility. He rewards those who are reverent with him. There's, a, there's something that comes in back from him in return. Yeah. He's also the God of judgment. In Hebrew, it's called the Dayan, the Shofet. He has the final word. It's his standard, too, that matters. Now, the university may have its standard. A society may have their standard. But it's his standard in the end that matters. It behooves us to make sure that our lives are in accordance to his standards. He's the judge. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says... The wrath of God, and I spoke about kindness, gentleness, mercy, all those things, willing to forgive. But I would be unrighteous if I didn't mention the other part of who God is, and he's greatly to be reverenced. Romans 1.18 says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against What's that next little phrase? All ungodliness. All of it. Fornication, thievery, all the things Scripture tells us. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of who? Of man, mankind, of men, who suppressed the truth in unrighteousness, or as Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8 puts it, in another direction. The same author, the same one who wrote Romans, wrote Galatians. Galatians 6, verse 7 says, don't be deceived. Are there a lot of people being deceived right now in the world, doing their own thing, making their own rules, going by their own standards? It's not going to be well for them. Because there is Hadayan, Hashofet, the judge. And he judges all unrighteousness, all ungodliness. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows. What are you sowing in your life? Kindness, mercy, forgiveness, generosity. What are you sowing in your life? For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. I'm glad that verse doesn't stop there. <laughs> but he who sows to the Spirit, may that be all of us in our lives, he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap what? Everlasting life. The only one that can give us Everlasting life is that Bore, that creator, the creator of life. And his promises are true. We also learn from Genesis and Parashat Bereshit, if you had a chance to read this week's portion, we learn that God does a lot of distinguishing of things. 
the most obvious in this week's parasha, what we just read a few minutes ago from the Torah scroll, he distinguishes light from darkness. Well, that idea carries all the way through to the new covenant, all the way through the prophets, all the way through the writings, the Nevi'im, the Ketuvim, and the Brit Hadashah, besides the Torah. He also distinguished night from day, he distinguished the sun from the moon, he distinguished mankind from the animals. He even distinguished the the dry ground from the waters of the sea. Well, you might think with God's sovereign power, his incredible divine attributes that we've barely touched, mentioned in here this morning, his beneficent character and traits, such as compassion and mercy, forgiveness, patience, justice, and, and much more, you would think that people would let him be Lord over every area of their lives. You would think, you would think. In fact, have you ever really asked yourself, now this is not a time for you and your neighbor, have you ever really asked yourself, why don't I trust the Lord more in my life? Why don't I trust the Lord more in my life? If you've ever thought like that and wondered that, well, you're in very good company because Yeshua's own shlichim, his apostles, wondered the, that idea also. They wondered about faith or trust. They wondered about Luke chapter 17, verse 5. It says, Lord, increase our trust, increase our faith. And please listen to how Yeshua responds to that plea. In Luke chapter 17, verse 6, he says this to them. So the Lord said, they had asked him, Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk. And afterward you will eat and drink. Verse 9 of Luke 17 Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not, Yeshua said. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which are commanded, say we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Now I know there's so much in this passage. I mean, just the word duty makes some people just shake because it sounds too close to responsibility and having to take action and be activated in doing. So although this profound statement of Yeshua does have much to say to us, what I just read from Luke 17, for brevity's sake, I want to speak about two 
matters. The first one that he addressed was the idea of servanthood. And the second matter is doing his will. Both of those are in what he said in Luke 17, verse 5 and forward. Doing his will includes doing what he says and not what you want. Let me say that again. Doing his will involves doing what he says and not just what you want. In the parable that he said, the servants came in and they could have been thinking, well, it's our time to sit down. This is it, chow time. But no, they still had more to do. Afterwards, their opportunity came. So doing his will includes doing what he says and not what you want. It involves yielding your life to him and doing so will make you his servant. It'll bring you down that pathway that leads to great blessing in the Lord being his servant. Doing his will does not make you a religious superstar. Did you notice that about in this little parable? It does make you his humble servant when you do his will. And doing his will does not make you superior to all others so that then you can look down on them. Doing his will does make you his servant. And doing his will does not always bring, this is an important point, does not always bring immediate reward, but friends, you will be rewarded. Blessed are those who lay up treasure in heaven. Whose treasure, it can't be stolen there. Rust is not going to get it. Moth is not going to corrupt it. That's what Yeshua said. He, he, it was a command. He said, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. As you serve God and do his will, there's some kind of a spiritual transaction, eternal transaction taking place. We don't serve him so that we can think we're better than others. So that we can look down at them or think we've arrived or we're some kind of spiritual superstar. I don't know how to say it. I lack the terms. A real servant is a doulas, an evidadonai. It's the servant with his ear pierced to the door who said, I want to serve you. Wherever you go, I want to go. I am your servant. Ani Abdecha, I am your servant. David spoke so much of this in Psalm 119, beginning with verse 124. He said, He cries out to God in this beautiful acrostic psalm. And I hope you have a Bible that shows you that each particular section begins with the first, the letter that's listed, the Hebrew letter that's listed. It's quite a, a feat, quite a work, poetically, uh, linguistically, uh, language-wise. It's quite a feat. But when we come to this section, Psalm 119, beginning with verse 124, the psalmist cries out, deal with your servant, How? According to your, the Hebrew word is chesed. Could you say chesed? 
according to your loving kindness, your mercy. And then he says this, and teach me your statutes. I know sometimes we want to teach God our statutes. <laughs> Lord, you know, you should have done it this way and you should be doing it at this time. And uh, Lord, you, you, know, you know all this. But this, uh, deal with your servant according to your mercy and teach me your statutes. Avdechani, I am your servant. Can you really say that about yourself today? Are you really God's servant? Can you say that? I can't answer for you. <laughs> your life's going to show it. The way you deal with people's going to show it. You're dealing with material things going to show it. Are you his servant? David said, Avdecha, your servant, Ani, I am. He mentions your servant before he says Ani in the Hebrew. He doesn't say, I, your servant. No, he says, your servant, me. The first thing he mentions is servant, then himself. That should be the equation in our lives. Lord, I am your servant. <laughs> Whatever you supply me, I must decrease so you can increase. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. So today, friends, as I conclude here, as we prepare our hearts for Seodata Don, the Lord's Supper, this ancient connection back to the first Messianic Jews, back to Yeshua, and pass that all the way back to Moshe, Moses, that we'll read about, Sefer Shemot. As we prepare our hearts for these elements here, these symbols of his love for us, the demonstration, these symbols of the demonstration of his love, I would ask you this. Please remember Messiah Yeshua who loved you. And in fact, I'm going to change the verb tense into another one. Messiah Yeshua who loves you. Messiah Yeshua who will love you because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He loved you and he gave himself for you. Please remember him. We read in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even Yeshua, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Yeshua gave his life as a ransom. Well, who was he ransoming? Take a look around in your life, every person you know. He wants to ransom that person from the, from the, the clutches of judgment to the gift of God that comes through faith in him, which is eternal life. He ransomed us so that we would no longer be servants of the deceiver, the enemy. We would no longer be, live our lives as vassals and pawns, pawns of our own fleshly desires, and we all battle them, let's be honest about it. Or that we would become entangled again in a yoke of legalistic bondage. He answers us from all that so that we can know him as this end of Devarim said, 
Panim el panim. It's like a close personal relationship that we might know him. We're accepting sometimes a lot of things that's far less than what he desires for us. And sometimes we say, bring it on. Give it to me. This is what I want. But for to be an evid, a servant of the Lord, it's not what I want. It's what he wants. What is right in his sight. It says that he gave his life a ransom in Mark 10, 45 for many. And then there's a, a link word in John chapter 1, verse 12. And it says, as many as received him. I wish it said, and everyone afterwards received him and that was it. But there's some who just are not willing. They refuse. Continually holding back from the Lord. As many as received him to them, he gave the right, the power, the privilege, depending on your translation. He gave the right to become B'nai Elohim, children of God. Next phrase is critical to those who trust, believe in his name. Messiah Yeshua set us free to serve El Chai, the living God, now while we have breath. You're laying up treasure now, I hope, in heaven. Maybe now it's a tough time serving, but keep pressing in serving him because there's a reward for his servants. And if you're just doing your own thing and calling it righteous or holy, step away from it. We've all been there. Don't do that. You're just deceiving yourself. And God is not mocked. He won't be mocked. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9 has always captivated me, maybe for two decades now. This verse, when I think about the Thessalonians, we have the advantage of knowing the formation of the Thessalonian Messianic community. Uh, we're, we're told about it. It was a Jewish and Gentile community. We're told about it in the book of Acts. And then Rapshul, Paul the Apostle, writes to them very first, off the, right off the launching pad here in chapter 1. He says, for they themselves declare concerning us in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 9. Declare concerning us what manner of enter we had to you and how you turned. You turned to God. You turned to God from idols, things you had put in front of God. You turn to God from idols. You turn to God from idols to serve. To serve the living and true God. And then there's verse 10. And to wait. To wait for his son from heaven. Whom he raised from the dead. Even Jesus. Even Yeshua. Even Yeshua, notice how he's described here, who delivers us from what? The wrath to come. Friends, make sure you are really his. There's no other deliverer. Make sure your life is demonstrating your servanthood. Make sure that what you're doing gives him glory. And if you stumble, get up and run five times faster, ten times faster to the feet of the Messiah. I like how it said, he told them, you turn from miles in order to serve God and to wait for Yeshua's return. 
Some call this when Yeshua returns. It's alluded to in the scripture in a number of places. It's like the groom and the bride, the bride being the body of believers, the groom being Messiah, finally coming together. That day is coming. And as with most nuptials, <laughs> there'll be a joyous celebration. <laughs> And that celebration is described in a number of places in Scripture than not just the New Covenant. For example, Isaiah chapter 25 begins with these words in verse 1. O Lord, you are my God. I wonder, can we really say that? And then it goes further. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. For you have done wonderful things. You notice it doesn't say for I have done wonderful things. For you have done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. And then later on in verse 6, and I encourage you to read this whole chapter if you have time. But in verse 6, it starts to describe something. It starts out with this confession. Oh Lord, you're my God. I exalt you. I praise your name. And then a little bit later, when we get to verse 6 in the same chapter, and in this mountain, the Adonai Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of well-refined wines on the lees. These descriptions here were at the top of the top at the time of Isaiah. The upper core of celebration of, you know, the wines and the, the best of the food. And then it says, and he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations and may the veil be removed from the eyes of the Jewish people. He will swallow up death forever. Did you know that when it says that in Revelation, it's actually quoting from other passages in the Scripture that the writer of Revelation knew what the Bible says, what the Scripture says, the Tanakh. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken, and it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him. And he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Nagilav and nismecha be'yeshuato is how it ends. We will be glad and rejoice in his Yeshua, his salvation. Will you pray with me and please prepare your heart for the Lord's Supper. We're going to go right into the Lord's Supper here today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we can look to you in all matters of our life. We know that you are faithful and true. Lord, I pray you will help us as we begin reading again from your book. Help us to be your servants, not just as a theory. Help us to walk it. We need the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for granting repentance where repentance is needed. Thank you for granting deliverance where deliverance is needed. 
Thank you for granting hope where hope is needed and shalom, peace where peace is needed. You, O oh Lord, are our sufficiency. We receive these elements here before us with thanksgiving, these representations of your Son, Yeshua, our Messiah, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the soon coming King. We ask, Lord, that you would show mercy, extend grace, make yourself known, particularly to the Jewish people, but to all nations, all peoples. In Yeshua's name, amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10.40 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.